0: Please help me welcome J. Lauren Norris. You know, I remember I was probably about eight years old, maybe nine, and I was playing baseball for what we called the Bad News Bears. It was the the Golden Bears. It was before Larry Blacks took over. Tommy Wilson remembered this story, but we were up in the stands. It was the same day that I caught a pop foul over the top of my glove and it hit me right on the bridge of my nose. That was during the warm-ups, and I quit. I went to the stands to sit up in the stands, and this old man next to me started telling me a story. And I know what he was trying to do. He was trying to encourage me, but I was a smart aleck. And several times I said to him, I think I've already heard this one. I already know how this one ends. I already get it. I was nine. I was a wise guy. And you know what I learned from his story? Nothing. Why? Because I didn't listen. Leaders know that your story is the most powerful thing that you have in your life to lead with. They also know nobody cares about your story. And I want to tell you why that's true and what to do about it in this episode of Leading Leaders. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast. And I can tell you, because I've experienced it from both sides, there are a whole lot of people who like to tell stories that, frankly, no one cares to hear. No one cares about the details. No one cares about the event. No one cares about the incident. Nobody cares about the outcome. Because the story, frankly, is boring. And the only thing worse than a boring story is a boring storyteller. And if you've ever encountered a leader who fancies themselves a storyteller, but the way that they tell stories is, well, boring. It doesn't matter what story they're telling. They could be reading from the greatest history books in the world, or they could be iterating to you a story told by Mark Twain, and then suddenly you're thinking, I thought this was a better story. Now you know as well as I do, there are also those who are phenomenal storytellers who could tell you about the garbage man picking up the trash from the curb, And have you in stitches or in tears or wanting to run out and buy the nearest book about the garbage man picking up garbage from the curb. Because they have this way of telling a story that is so fascinating that once they get you on the hook, you just can't get off. You're like a fish in the lake with the juiciest piece of beef jerky on the hook. You're hooked. But story isn't really about entertainment is it is it about entertainment or is it about education maybe it's both maybe it's all of the above and maybe the more entertaining it is the more power it has to be educational that's what i believe to be true and that's what my experience has shown me in being about 45 years worth of storytelling under my belt but i can also tell you with everything that I learn and study about story and the psychology of story and the different ways to tell a story and the different things that are important in a story and the psychology of triggering people and persuading people and convincing people, there's a whole lot more that goes into storytelling than being able to spin a yarn. In fact, there are a lot of people who can spin a yarn. And when I say spin a yarn, I don't just mean keep the conversation going and add to it and and weave the story in and out. Many people who spin a yarn, they're making up about 80% of what they're saying. They're, they're creating an incident or a story out of thin air. There's another way to say that. Fabricating a story. Uh, maybe you've heard the old uh, synonym for lying called a fib. A fib is a fabricated story. It's made up. It's there, Well, there's no real in it. There's nothing true about it. It just... It sounded good at the time. It was entertaining at the time. It, it brought out the emotions. It made people laugh and it made people cry, but it never really happened. There's another word for that. It's called fiction. There are some great fiction books out there. there are some great fiction books, in fact, that the fiction does a greater job of explaining a truth than telling the truth could. Because the truth itself is maybe a little hard to get, its, get your arms around. A great example of that would be Frank Peretti. Some of the fictional novels that he's written about spiritual warfare, meaning that world that we can't see. I mean, are there angels and demons? And if there are, then what do they do? And if they really exist and it's a battle, a cosmic battle between good and evil, then what might that be like? How would they sound when they encounter each other? Or what would they look like when they war against each other? And Frank Peretti in this present darkness, and piercing the darkness, did a phenomenal job of fictionalizing a reality that many people perceive as reality and live their lives according to. And for people who've never pondered the idea that there might be these spiritual clashes going on in a world we can't see, reading this truly fictional account brings them into a place to go Okay, I can perceive that as real, although I've never been there. I can't actually touch it. I can't I can't prove it. There's no videos of angels and demons warring in the way they're described in that book, but the fictional story is so well told that it brings about something new. Another example of that would be the latest book by Patrick Lincioni, where he talks about the six levels of genius or the six types of genius at, at work. And He spends 80% of that book in an allegory. The allegory is a fictional account that relates true events in a way that you can relate to them better. He's telling the truth about how people interact with each other and the different ways that we learn and the different ways that we teach and the different ways that we behave. And so he's able to use an allegory, a story that represents other real facts, to tell a truth that Well, it just changes the way you look at work. And if you haven't read that book yet, I highly recommend it, especially if you're a leader. Now the power of your story is a whole different thing because as a leader, the power of your story is about developing and expressing your credibility. Who are you? What have you done? What have you learned? What mistakes have you made? And Maybe you've seen the little chart that says, you. You try and you fail, and you try and you fail, and you try and you fail, and you try and you fail. And you got to line through every time it says fail and write learn. You try and you learn, and you try and you learn, and you try and you learn, and success is at the bottom of that. For many people, though, it's try, fail, try, fail, try, fail, try, fail, because they didn't learn from the failure. In fact, if you stack that up against another side with success still at the bottom, and you try, do, fail slash learn, and you learn and you go right back to try, do, it only takes a couple of times to go through there if you're learning from your own mistakes, if you're learning from your own failure. But remember, smart people learn from their own mistakes and wise people learn from the mistakes of others. That's why I have such a vast library. I've made plenty of mistakes on my own. Trust me, they're well documented. But I prefer to learn from other people's mistakes. I don't want to make the same mistakes they made. I don't want to do the same thing and that's where your story as a leader becomes so powerful but it's not just powerful for those that you lead when you tell them the story and you say well I tried that before and here's the outcome that I got. Maybe what you need is a little more brainstorming before you try the same thing that I tried. Let's, let's talk it through a little bit. Let's throw a little more experiential opportunity in there. Let's, let's add a little bit of flavor that doesn't look and feel just like that. Let's see if we come up with something better. Maybe that's what you need. Maybe what you need is to know that there's at least three factors in this plan of yours that are variables. If you tweak each of them a little bit, you could have an entirely different outcome because I did it just like that. All three of those variables were exactly the same as what you've got planned. Maybe we can just, just a little adjustment, we can make it better. Maybe collaborating with dozens of people, multitudes of counselors, there's a lot of wisdom in that. But see, your story about your trying and your doing and your fail slash learning, that's what mentorship is all about. A leader who can look back on their mistakes and say, well, here's what I did, and here's how that went wrong. Don't do what I did, but maybe if I were to do it again, I'd try it like this. Or I did it like that, and then I did it like that, and then I did it like that, but when I did it like this, it worked. Don't do it like this. That didn't work. Don't do it like this. That didn't work. But do it like this, because that worked. That really is the path of mentorship. The mentor is the one who's already walked through the minefield and says, follow my footsteps. Don't follow the footsteps that go step, 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 boom. Follow the steps that got all the way across the minefield. Don't do what everyone else is doing that's leading to their demise. Do what's being done by those who are successful. If you don't know where you're going, ask somebody who's already been there. The power of the leader's story is the ability to demonstrate that I've been down this path before. I've got some advice. I've got some ideas that would probably change your outcome without you having to learn from the same mistakes that taught me. That's good leadership. Now, here's the caveat. When I say no one really cares about your story, because we often, as leaders, we want to tell the story in a way that either makes us look like the hero or it expresses all of our emotion, good or bad. I can't tell you how many times I've worked with people as leaders, as communicators, whether they're on the stage or in the boardroom or just sitting down with a group of folks to mentor. And they want to tell their story and when it makes them cry, they're hoping everybody else is crying too, but that's not always the case. In fact, what they find is that telling their story is cathartic for them. It makes them feel better. That's probably the worst kind of story to use in leading. If it just makes you feel better to tell that story, tell that story in a lot of places where you're rehearsing and practicing and maybe even recording yourself and listening to it back. But here's the truth. The crowd doesn't care about that story that makes you cry. The only thing the crowd wants to know about your story is will hearing your story and the outcome that they desire being achieved change their life. In fact, will listening to your story provide them some insight, some knowledge, some understanding that not hearing your story would leave them without? Have you given them a shortcut, a solution, an answer, advice that they couldn't find anywhere else? In telling your story, have you related to them something that they would say, I could have read a 1,000 books and never come to that conclusion? I I could have lived through it myself and failed and failed and failed and failed failed before I understood what you just told me in your story. Now, whether it's an allegory or it's your real story, As long as you're delivering solid advice, you're providing the mentorship that leadership should provide. You're doing what should be done. You're offering a solution to a problem they're encountering. The real challenge for leaders is when they decide to tell a story that makes them feel better and it has no relevance to the audience they're speaking to. Now, one of the things that I teach my coaching clients, and and I want you to get this as a leader, is sometimes you look at your story In a a full book cover to cover. Maybe the window of time that you're talking about is your teenage years from say 17 or 18 when you got out of high school through your military career or your college career through your first five or six years at work and so now you're 30 and you've learned all the lessons you need to learn. So from 17 or 18 to 30 years old so it's a 12 year time span. Now if you wrote everything that happened that book would be about this big. So obviously, you're not going to write everything that happens. The editor's going to tell you to pare it down, pare it down, pare it down. The, the editor's probably going to try to keep that book under 300 pages because most people won't read even 300 pages. Most people want a 35, 40-page coffee table book or an e-book or the Cliff Notes. I would ask you to raise your hands if you read the Cliff Notes instead of the Grapes of Wrath. <laughs> Chances are you did. That's exactly what everybody wants to know about your life. They want the Cliff Notes version your life now if you were to look at that whole seven to twelve year time span and say okay so what are the best parts of the cliff notes of my life as a leader you would realize there are parts of that where really the story is the same and what you're really doing is just shifting the clock literally like spinning the hands forward on the dial you're trying to get people to a different point in time and the reality is as you consider the audience that you're speaking to. Again, I don't care if it's a big stage and there's thousands of people in the audience or you're mentoring five or six people. As you see the faces, know of the experiences, understand their level of education and their life experience, your ability to assess those things should allow you to spin the dial, so to speak, on the clock to fast forward or to rewind to say, I-, I wanna be able to tell you about an incident in time that starts like this and ends like this and the lesson I learned was that. And if you will apply what I learned in that moment in time, you can save yourself a lot of pain and heartache. You can advance your career even sooner. You can accomplish your goals even faster. You could find success without all the failure that I had to experience. You'll have a jump start to your next level in your career, in your education, in your relationships, in your finances, if you just hear this story. Now realizing I don't have to start at 17 years old every time. The timeline doesn't have to start in the same place every time. But I have to find the portion of the story, the time in the story, the incidences that most relate to the people I'm talking to right now. And even if I looked at my whole story and I said, You know, today, I'm talking to a bunch of high school students in a mentoring class. Tomorrow, it's a boardroom full of executives. On Thursday, it's a bunch of politicians, and they've got a whole different way of looking at the world than I do. What does my story have to do with them? See, again, it may not be that you're telling a different story. It still comes from the same window of time in your life between 17 and 30 years old. It still comes from the lessons that you've already learned and experienced. And the real question they're asking is, what did you learn in that season of time that's relevant to me? Because they don't care about your story. Even if it's entertaining in the way that you tell it, even if it's fascinating in the things that you experienced, even if you've been places and done things that are mind boggling. If they can't apply it to averting pain, saving money, or saving time, they don't care. They just, they really, I'm sorry. I don't mean that to be mean. They just don't care. Your best, most fascinating story is not enough to keep everybody's attention. It's the moment in time that they can see themselves in your life, in your story, and go, That was me. I went through the same thing. I did not get the same results. In fact, the last time I tried that, it was a mess. It cost me a whole lot of money. I was just listening to an interview that someone did with uh, Elon Musk. And Elon Musk said, you know, I'm really good at math and I understand the banking principles and I understand all of the processes of making money in the stock market. I I get it, I, I know how to do that. But I made the worst timing decision in the history of the world when I bought Twitter because I bought it at a price that right now its evaluation is less than 50% of that. I bought it at the highest price it had ever reached. And if I sold it right now, I'd make less than half of what I bought it for. (laughs) Well, hello awareness. That's a, what, $25 billion uh uh-oh? That's a big deal. That's a really big deal the question you would have to ask yourself is now that you know that story is true you might ask him what prompted you to buy it when you did did you really lose 25 million dollars have you billion dollars not million billion dollars have you really lost 25 billion dollars and how would you avoid doing that in the future if you had to do it again what would that look like what would your strategy be how could i If I had $50 billion laying around to buy a company, if I had that money laying around to buy a company and I wanted to buy it, how could I avoid making the same mistake you made? What were the pitfalls? What were the wrong decisions? Who were the negotiators? How did you mess that up? You understand banking and money. How did you mess that up? See, I don't care about the story unless I see how that story can help me. Save me money, save me time, save me pain. Then I want to know. I wanna know where you messed up. I wanna know where you did it right. I wanna know what the win was and what the losses were. I mean, that's why we ask for mentors. That's why we want leaders in our life. That's why those of us who pay coaches and pay mentors to be a part of our life, we expend our income for the purpose of improving ourselves. We're looking for people who can heighten our own awarenesses, who can look at us and go, hang on, I, I know you think you understand this part, but I'm sad to tell you you're wrong. The leaders who are in the most trouble are the ones who are unwilling to admit there's something they don't know or to presume they already have it. One of the most common, I don't wanna say arguments, but it really is, it's, a, it's an anti-buying signal. It's i I'm not sure I need to hire you. But One of the most common that I hear is, I'm so good spontaneously that I really don't want you to train me to memorize my scripts in such a way that, that I lose that spontaneity. I, I don't need to be prepared to that level because I'm so good naturally. I hear that on a regular basis and I would say for a long time I held that same belief because believe it or not I'm actually a pretty good naturally gifted communicator. So says the history that I've been speaking in front of crowds since I was 7 years old. I. I don't have any issue getting up in front of a crowd and talking and making up a story or telling a story or crafting a story or telling a true story in a new way. I've got no issue doing that. Then why in the world have I spent tens of thousands of dollars to study under people like Pete Vargas or John Maxwell or John Bevere? The list goes on and on. I have paid Grant Baldwin and others to get better at what I do. I study great communicators because I know I have a natural gift in it, but I need to convert that gift. Preparation, research, study, awareness converts that gift to a skill. It's not just a talent anymore. It's now a skill set. You have to have a natural gift for whatever it is that you do anyway, whether it's athleticism or it's relationships or it's speaking or writing or writing code or digital work. You've got to have a natural bent, a natural talent toward it. But when you add practice, rehearsal and study to that, now you've converted that from just a gift or a talent into a skill and the more practice you put into it, the more research you put into it, the more study you put into it, the better it gets. If you are a gifted communicator, if you've lived a life where your story is so powerful and life-changing for other people that telling your story will save them time, save them money, avert pain for them, then take the time to enhance the gift, the talent, and the story to a level of skill that changes other people's lives. Not telling it for your own entertainment, not telling it just to be entertaining, but telling it because the story you have to tell will save them time, save them money, avert pain and make their life better. If you'll take the time to do that, you'll understand why your story is the most powerful tool that you have as a leader. You'll also understand why nobody cares about your story. They only care about the results they're going to get after they listen to and apply your story. Trust me when I say everything you've ever invested your business in invested in for your business rests behind the skill to translate your learning experiences into somebody else's benefit. Everything you've learned, everything you've invested in will come to them through your story. That story may also change your own life. There are gonna be times that you're gonna be telling that story to somebody else and have an aha moment of your own and go, I didn't realize until I said that to you what I learned on that journey. That's why you wanna rehearse that story and practice that story and master that skill before you share it with a crowd. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast for Tell All like I Get It's TV. Have a blessed day. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom. Hi, my name is Christina Knowles, and I just got done taking Jay Lauren's Story Power Masterclass. It was amazing. I took away so much information. Um, one of the things that I really enjoyed being formally trained in media many many years ago is the call to action. I will use that with every speaking engagement and I'm so grateful that Lauren just um, spoke truth into his teachings and he is a true professional and I know this might sound weird but I've been taking certifications in different classes over the years, and Lauren is not boring. I can't even believe I got here at nine, and then the class went by so fast that I was like, it's time to go already, and I was shocked that it was time to go already. So it's an awesome class. You're going to enjoy it, I promise. Lauren is a master teacher on storytelling, and I learned so much. Um, I'm really going to have to sit down and go back through everything, and I think I might have to have some more confidence with Lauren, but uh, it was totally worth my...